man, and I'm impressed. Thank you all. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and these gentlemen will be glad to give you one. You take your Bible and turn to the book of 2nd, 2nd Corinthians, the New Testament, 2nd Corinthians. I want to mention one other thing to you before we get into today's uh, message. You may have noticed, may not have noticed, but uh, we got an interesting kind of an affinity group devotional thing that, that uh, Julie Randolph came shared with me, something that, that she had been involved in or had heard about. It's kind of interesting. I looked at it. It's called Run for God. How many of you are into running? How many of you like to watch other people run? That'd be me. And I figure vicariously, I can benefit from this if nobody else can. But if it's something that you might be interested in, I know Julie is here and there's some inform- all her information is in the uh, bulletin. It's also a, a poster out there. You can contact her and it's something God's laid on her heart that she wants to do. And kind of different, uh, again, if it's something, you don't have to be a great runner. If it's something that you do. It's leading up to the 5K with when. August 17th, and but even if you, you can walk, you can just if it's something you think you might be interested in, Julie was certainly here and will be out in the lobby after also and, uh, and check it out. One of the things that I was sharing with her and always share with people is God lays something on your heart, we, we will try it. Uh, for example, we're probably going to have, uh, I'm going to start a chicken foot dominoes group to see how many of you. There we go. Now we're talking. But if it's something that, that you might be interested in, it's, it's a different and a chance to get together with believers. Many of them won't be from this church, but just uh, believers. And, and even some, obviously, who are not believers will run into the process, pardon the pun, process of running and another opportunity to share your faith. So just want to let you know, check that out. All right. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 if you haven't done that already. And I won't, I won't mention his name because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but somebody came up to me today that I've known for a long time, and one of the things he said to me, which was really encouraging, is that he'd been praying for me this week. Do you remember what I asked you to do last week? And I appreciate it. I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to ask how many of you did that, but I know there are many of you that pray for me on a regular basis, and if there's anybody you know that needs it, it would be me. And God has really burdened me about this thing of praying for each other. We're going to talk about it again today in a little bit different perspective. But I think it's vital that we understand as believers. I was sharing with a guy this week. We went to spend a couple of hours together sitting around talking about some things in the Bible and about them doctrinal things. Very encouraging what he had to share with me. But one of the things we were talking about was how significant it is that once you realize how important it is that I live my life for Christ, a very successful businessman, he's uh, suddenly realizing, and it, it was an encouragement to me because it's something that I talk about a lot, how important it was that he live his Christian life every day. As I said, extremely successful and around a lot of people and opportunities you never know. You never know in any moment the opportunity that God may be giving you to impact that life for Jesus Christ. For example, he and I were just sitting there, started out eating lunch, and then we ended up spending a couple of hours together. And we're just sitting there, we're just beginning to talk. And, he, and even though I've known him, I didn't, we've never really known each other. And I said, for example, this guy that's waiting on us. Now, I can be rude to him, or I can treat him with respect. Now, which would God have me do? With respect. Because you never know, that guy may know who I am. He may not, or he may, someone else may tell him later, and he's, that guy was a jerk. I give an example, and I won't mention the preacher's name because you would know him, but in 1996, we were in Atlanta, Georgia, an organization called Promise Keeper had a, had a big meeting in 1996 for, they called it a clergy conference, and there were just a couple of thousand preachers, it was not a good thing, but Put, we put them all together in uh, the Georgia Dome, and then someone else would preach to us. And then, anyway, we were going, we all, uh, about 10 of us went out to eat together. 
basically from the Memphis area. One of them was pastor of a huge church uh, in uh, the Memphis area. And we're sitting there eating. And this guy was the rudest person I've ever sat at a meal with to the person waiting on us. Uh, so rude that I went and apologized to the lady later for all of them. She knew who we were. And, and, and that you said, that seems trivial. No, it's not trivial. Because Colossians tell me, tells me all that you do, do in the name of the Lord. Now, am I always successful at that? No, but that is my goal. My goal is to be like Christ. Was he rude to people? No, the answer is no. How do I know the answer is no? Because he was perfect. Now, am I perfect? No, just ask Mary. You'll have a seminar on that in the lobby afterwards. No, I'm not. But my goal is, I'd like to be. I want to be like Christ. I want, as Paul said repeatedly, Christ in me to be what you know about me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. If I'm any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Paul used it over and over. It's, you could tell when he was redeemed on that road to Damascus and as he began to learn and grow, what an impact that had on him, that it's not the legalism of keeping the law and doing the best you can. And it's not about work. It's about Christ in me, transforming me. So what's that got to do with this? Well, it's extremely important that we never forget Back to my conversation with the guy. This, there are two things in this life that Randy can touch that I can see again in the next life beyond the grave. One is people, and two is the Word of God. So where should the focus of my life be? On people and the Word of God. No matter what my walk of life may be, no matter where I find myself, there are always opportunities to treat people as Christ would treat them. Unless you're living totally by yourself, isolated somewhere, there are opportunities to live out your faith. And God says, take them. Doesn't mean you're witnessing to every single person you see. But what you are doing or interact with, what you are doing is thinking about the other person. Thinking, how can I share the love of Christ? How can I, if an opportunity arises, how can I share the gospel? How can I be kind, gentle, respectful to this person? No matter how they respond to me, no matter how they treat me, my goal is to treat people like Jesus would. Love my neighbor as myself. Paul took a step further in Philippians where he said, you always look out for the interest of others, not self. God will take care of you. Let Christ flow through you and look out for the interests of others. Now, what does that have to do with prayer? Well, it's vital that we understand that being in the Word of God, incorporating the Word of God, internalizing the Word of God, being what God would have me to be as I respond to the Word of God, one of the things, and I've, I've shared this with you a couple of times in this series, the weakest area in Randy Lockley's life as a believer in Jesus Christ is my prayer life. For example, Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. And exploring what that means, it's more a mindset and an attitude that I'm constantly communicating with God. What would you have me do? How can I respond here? Oh, that's wrong. Um, Dad, I'm sorry. I don't, I, what do you want me to do? How do I need to handle this? What would the, my father have me do? Because just for as an example, just for a moment, I want you to think. Just call out to me some of the names that we are called by in the Bible. I'm talking about this group of people called Christians, not necessarily at Christ Church. That would be stuff like knuckles. No. In the Bible, what are some of the things we are called as a group? Children of God? Leaders? Anybody else? The church? Sheep? What? I'm sorry. All right. Saints? Anything else? The body of Christ? Anything else? What? Brothers and sisters? Anything else? We're called the church. We're called the family of God. We're called his children. We're called brothers and sisters. Jesus said, well, you're called my friends. One of my favorites is that we really don't understand and think about a lot is we're called Jesus' bride. 
that our eternal state is corporately we will be the bride of Jesus Christ in an eternal love relationship. How special that is. Peter, that really hard guy with the temper who wanted to chop off Malchus's ear and wanted to fight for Jesus and I'll always be there for you, Lord. In his epistles, he uses the word precious. It's ironic. It shows you God's sense of humor, how he changed this guy. He uses the word precious over and over to describe the blood of Jesus and us, that we are his precious people. We are his chosen ones. We are his body, his church. We are the chosen institution that God has said, through you, I want to reveal myself to the world. So it's vital that we understand praying for each other is essential. We've talked about that in a couple of different ways. I want to share a quote with you, and then we're going to get into this. E.M. Bounds, in his tremendous book on prayer, says this. Prayer is not a little habit pinned onto us while we were tied to our mother's apron strings. Neither is it a little decent quarter of a minute's grace said over an hour's dinner, but it is a most serious work of our most serious years. A most serious work of our most serious years. Here's what I want you to take away from what we're going to talk about today in a big sense. How significant it is that we are that group. We pray for each other because God has something incredible that he wants to accomplish in this generation right now before Jesus comes back or before many of us are gone and another generation steps up. That's why these children down here are so special. And what we do, imparting the gospel to them, whether it's through the church, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a coach, as a friend, as a mentor, as a neighbor, maybe you're just a volunteer worker at something like Arlington in April, or here on Sunday morning, or VBS, you never know how you might impact another life by what you do. And so it's vital that we pray for each other. We ended last week's message by I I was asking you to covenant, to pray for me, and to pray for each other. But if you don't do anything else, let's start with Randy, because I desperately need it for a lot of reasons. And then let's see how special prayer life comes and what God can do. So let's begin with number one and look on your handout. Why do we pray for each other? Number one, we pray for each other because we are God's people. This is not just, I decided I'll go to church here and I kind of like, well, Peter and them, they're talented, that's cool, and I can put up with Randy for a few minutes. That's all right, I, I kinda, that's kind of good. No, it's far beyond that. This is a local congregation that's part of a worldwide body called the church, God's people. We are his people. Every day you ought to just thank God the fact you're born again. Thank God for the fact he chose you. Thank God for the fact you have eternal life. Thank God for the fact you have peace. You have hope. You have a reason for living. You have a purpose far beyond the moment. You have an eternal perspective on things. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 12 there on your handout. It says the following. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you, and I will teach you the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. It's an interesting moment in the history of Israel. Samuel's sharing this with them, what we just read. Israel has come to Samuel, God's prophet, the nation, God's chosen people. The Jews, they've come to Samuel, God's prophet, and they've said, we would like to have a king. 
like everybody else around us. All the other nations, the Philistines, the Amalekites, and all these other people, they have kings. We want a king like them, like all the other nations. Yet despite that, God shows them grace and mercy. I'm going to read you a couple of quotes from the context leading up to this passage, and we're going to come back to it. Lord, the, God goes to Samuel earlier, and he says to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all they say to you. And listen closely. They have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Here's his point. Samuel, you're the messenger. You're the leader. And they've come to you and they've demanded a king. That's wrong. Who was their king? God. And God said, Samuel, go ahead and give them a king. I'm going to allow it, even though I am their king. And they have rejected me. Don't miss that. In another place, God says to Israel, I was a husband to you, and you rejected me. Think about that hurt. He says here, I, I am your king. You have rejected me. You want a human being to lead you when I, the God of the universe, am your leader. You'd rather have a man lead you. So he gave him a man. His name was Saul. Not good. All I got to do is read it. Not good. God allows it. But then Samuel says to them, this is a great wickedness later on, right after this, Samuel says to the people, this is a great wickedness you've done in the sight of the Lord. But here's the next thing. He's, Despite your great wickedness, do not fear. I was sharing with my class this morning, and, and I love to study the Old Testament. One of the things that jumps out in this particular passage we're looking at, as well as throughout the Old Testament, is the, is the grace and mercy of God. Most people think Old Testament, what do they think? Ah! God is a God of vengeance and wrath, and he's going to get me. Did they deserve to be get, getted? That's a word I just made up. Did they deserve to be getted? They did. And Samuel, the prophet of God, says to them, despite your great wickedness, and their great wickedness was looking at God and saying, thanks, God, but we don't want you anymore. We want a man. We want a stud. We want somebody who can step out there and looks good. Saul was good looking, big guy, powerful, military leader. We want somebody like that, God. You ain't good enough. That's Hebrew. If I'm God or you're God, what do we say? I ain't good enough. You ain't good enough. <laughs> you're gone. I'll pick somebody else. God's not like that because he's immutable. He does not change. He'd made them a great promise to Abraham, and he was going to do it. So we're going to go through a tough time. You're going to get your king. And God, you're going to wish you didn't have him. But Samuel says, despite your great wickedness, just remember, do not fear. Serve the Lord. He'll take care. He loves you. Do you ever in your prayer life just say, God, thank you for putting up with me? Love, thank you for loving me when I was not worthy, when I was not lovely. Nothing, I, nothing in my life was worthy, and yet you love me anyway. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The very people defining what did Jesus say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He shows mercy. And notice the, the idea of being God's people, the passage there on the screen, on your handout. Number one, or A, he will not forsake us. He will not forsake us. But I want you to notice in that, in that uh, passage, very important, the little phrase there on your handout, the Lord will not forsake his people. Look at the next phrase. Everybody look at it. I want us to say it together. You ready? One, two, three, four. Oh, let's back up. Now, the person next to you I know is asleep, but punch that person and catch up. All right. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. You want to try that again? For his great name's sake. That is the most important thing you will hear all day. Look at the next thing it says. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. In other words, you are special. God will never forsake us 
We know it because he's promised it. Here's the reason why he will not, and this is why this is so important, that we pray for each other and that we pause and we realize how special we are. God will not forsake us because of his name's sake, and he's chosen us to make it happen. His namesake means this. His name is his character, his reputation, who he is. God is going to do a great thing. His name is going to be glorified. His name is going to be made famous. His name is going to be renowned throughout the world. Philippians says at some point in time in the future, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is what? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It will happen. And what he's saying to us is, you want to get in on that? This is your moment in time in history. This is your time to be part of me making my name great. I will do that. I will not forsake you. I want to use you. I want you to be part of that. He wanted Israel to be part of that. And they said, we'd rather have a a man lead us. What he wants to say to the church is, are you following a man or are you following me? Fall in love with Jesus Christ and then say, all all I want, Lord, is to be part of what you're doing. He will not forsake us because he wants to be reflected in us, through us, so that his name will be made great. And he will not forsake us. Just an example, then I want some slides that I want to show you, some verse I want you to see. John the Baptist is an incredible passage. He's talking talking about John the Baptist. He says that he's not the light that's coming into the world. He's talking about Jesus. He He was not that light. But that he was like, and the idea is, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you rather because I don't want to quote it. The idea was this, that John the Baptist was saying, I am a lamp. It's an incredible metaphor. I love it. He said, I am a lamp. We all know what lamps are. We all have them all over the place. Kind of like radios. You probably got 50 in your house. Don't even realize. But when you want a lamp, if it's just sitting there and it's turned off, it's just there, right? But what happens when you reach over and turn the switch on? It illuminates the area around it. That's what John the Baptist is saying. I'm just a lamp. Where's the light? It's in me. And I want it to come out. That's the idea. God wants to make his name great. He will do that. And he says to us, you want to be a lamp that I use? Or you just want to be a lamp sitting on the table? Your choice. Are you going to be turned on or not? Are you going to respond to the Holy Spirit, say yes, and let Christ be reflected or not? Look at these verses from the Old Testament. Start, just start running them up there. Dan, whatever, and we'll just start with that. Exodus 9, 16. But indeed, for this purpose, it's when they're going to come out of Egypt, for this purpose I've raised you up, Israel, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. When he went to Pharaoh, and we, uh, we've talked about that through the Passover time leading up to Easter, all the great things that God did, all those incredible miracles, and then the parting of the Red Sea, all that God did was so that Pharaoh and the world would know what? I'm God. What did he tell Moses his name was? I am. So he said, I'm raising you up. I'm going to use you, Israel, to make my name great. Go to the next, please. 2 Samuel, who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people? He bought them back for his to be his people, to make for himself a name, to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, for your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations, the Gentiles, the heathens, and their gods. In other words, they were going to be surrounded by pagans. God said, what I want to do is a great work in you. I want to place you in the middle of all those pagans and let them see the one true God. What would he say to the church today? His people, his body, his family, his children, his bride, his church would say, I placed you in the middle of a pagan land. We began this series by talking about America is not a country. We're a post-Christian culture. And in this culture, God has placed us like he did Daniel in the middle of Babylon and said, says to us, now make my name great. It's your opportunity. Look at the next one. 
Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. They deserved to be drowned themselves, but God saved them. They deserved to be wiped out at foot of Sinai, but God saved them. That he might make his mighty power known. He was, he is going to make his name known. There was a remnant, there's a remnant today, the church. And then finally, this one kind of sums it up from Ezekiel. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they have gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations. That's the Gentiles around them, wherever they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, set it aside to be holy, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. We began this series, the model prayer. And I told you the summation of that is you're seeking God's will, but it all flows from one statement. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And the point was, God is going to hallow his name. God is going to make his name great. And he's saying to us, do you want to get in on that? Do you want to be part of that? He said, every place they went, my name was embarrassed, was profane. Let's think about our country today. How often are there people standing up saying, in the name of Jesus, an embarrassment to our God? And when it's not the truth, when it's not of Christ, when it doesn't honor the Lord, that's why it's imperative that we pray for each other. It's imperative that we stand for truth. It's imperative that we teach the truth, live the truth, model the truth, because truth does what? You know, when y'all all come to my funeral, I'll be able to stand up and say, truth sets you free. You remember that one. What's the most important word in the Bible? But there you go. You see, you got it. You learn the word. God's name is going to be hallowed. My point is, and why this is such a thrill for me, is that we get the part of that. It's an honor, a privilege. If you're ever embarrassed to use the name Christian, stop examining. Why? It's the highest call any human being have, that I'm in Christ. Secondly, back there in the original passage there in your handout, it's a sin not to pray for each other. Uh-oh, now he's going to meddle. It's exactly what Samuel says. God is going to do this great work, and so if I don't pray for you, it's wrong. I'm commanded to do it. You don't pray for me, it's wrong. You're commanded to do it, especially when someone is uh, in a position of leadership in the church. The Bible says pray for him. If we don't pray for President Obama, it's wrong. And our other leaders in authority, all the way down to the local level. God says, pray for them. Why? Number one, if they're not saved, that they get saved. And number two, if they are saved, they start living like it. In the position that they're in, lead from a Christian perspective. Pray for each other. It's a sin not to. Third, we serve him. What we've been talking about, we serve him. It's all about what does God want? We're going to serve him. All right, let's go to 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at part of this. May not finish it today, and that's fine. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You're already there. 2 Corinthians is a very interesting book. Here's why. It's probably the most personal, emotional, intense, autobiographical thing written by the Apostle Paul. Because in this letter, he gets, how shall I put this without, without saying, so shouldn't. he gets PO'd at people who are criticized. False teachers are coming into the church at Corinth, and they're saying all that Paul is going through, and he was suffering credibly, all that he's going through is because he's, a, he's got sin in his life. And they were, they were coming in, and they were Judaizers, and they were coming in and saying, you know, Paul says this, and Paul says this. These were Gentile Christians, and these Jewish, these Judaizers were coming in and saying, but you need to add onto what Paul is saying, you need to add the law to that. 
And in this book, 2 Corinthians, Paul lays himself open, honest, real. He had been there. He started this church, and we'll get the exact date, about 55 AD. Uh, Paul had started this church. He'd been there about a year and a half, and he left. After he left, they began to split into factions. Ever happened in a church? They began to split into factions based on personalities. Remember, what was Israel's problem? They didn't want God as their king. Who did they want? They wanted a man. Well, at the church at Corinth, what happened to them was after Paul left, they began to take sides. Well, I'm going to listen. I'm going to follow what Paul said. I'm going to follow what Apollo says. I'm going to follow what Peter says. And Paul writes it and says, why don't you all follow Jesus? Quit dividing up and fighting over personalities. Do we do that in the church today? Focus on the truth. Focus on the word. So he begins to defend himself. Matter of fact, what I want to do is I want you to flip over to chapter 11. Same book, chapter 11, verse 22. Remember, these false teachers were coming in. They were criticizing Paul, and they were criticizing his ministry, saying it wasn't of God. And now I want you to notice what he says in chapter 11, starting in verse 22. Remember, these guys that were coming in, were prop, this is a Gentile church by and large. These are Jews that are coming in that are, that are saying, no, you need the law on top of Jesus. So here's what he says, verse 22. Are they Hebrews, Jews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in peril of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Just in case you haven't picked up on this, he was in perils a lot. Perils are not some place you want to be, by the way. In weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, hunger, thirst, fastings often, the cold, nakedness. Now notice verse 28. All the things he's just listed, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? He was going through all of that, and they were saying he was going through all that because God was punishing him. Notice the next verse. Besides the other things, what he just listed, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak, I, and, I, and I am not weak. Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. He was really hurt. He was really upset. Because he, 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 in one place he even wrote in Romans, I wish I could die for my fellow Jews. I love them that much. This guy loved people. He loved the Gentiles. All the churches, he sent Titus to start them. He started them. He loved them. And for these guys to come in behind him and say, oh, Paul's a false teacher. He, he doesn't know what he's talking about. This is what you need. It not only hurt him, he was upset. That's why I said this is a very emotional book for him, an autobiographical book. And he's saying, every day, I have a deep, deep concern the churches. Deep concern. And I want you to know, I love you. And he says, God is my wit, my paraphrase. I'm not lying. Now, i give you the point, and we're going to stop today because I, I want to elaborate on this next week. Why do we pray for each other? Because we're in this together. We're in this together. That's what he wanted them to understand. I want to save that for next week because I don't want to run through that quickly. So I want to leave you with this. How significant it is, how important it is that we pray for each other because we're part of something much bigger than where do I go to church. We're, we're part of God making his name great and that this is one place where we have an opportunity to be part of that.
We pray for each other. That's what real prayer is about. Speaking of that, you bow your heads. Father, we thank you that when we come to you, we, we call you Father for a reason. You're our dad. We are part of a family. Such an important statement. Not a religious place we hang out together, a set of things we agree to, but we're part of your family. That around your word and around fellowship and around praying for each other, we want to be exactly what you want us to be. We want to be part of what you're doing. We are your people. And we want to know, Father, what do you want us to do? And then we want to be committed to do that. So, Lord, I pray for the believers here. That would be our heart's prayer. We are going to pray for each other. We are going to pray for our church. We are going to pray for our leadership. And we're going to pray for our nation. But specifically today, for our church, that we would be what you want us to be. Because we are your people. We, as your people, would live like that. They would see you in us individually and in us as a group. That we would reflect. We would have a testimony that honors your name. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's not a Christian, that they would be adopted into our family today through saying yes to the Holy Spirit, yes to Jesus. Lord, I want to be, I want to be part of this family. I want to belong. I want to be part of God's people. We commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Please stand as we sing.